there are really no words that can fully describe the hope that we have in Him, the love that is found in Him, and the significance of who He is in our life. Our words fail and pale in comparison to how awesome He is. And this God who exists, this God who is holy, this God who is just, and this God that makes Himself known through the Scripture, His Word to us in an act of grace, it is awe-inspiring to know that He says that we may draw near to Him. Like, that is not a small deal. That is not a just, hmm, that sounds kind of nice. That is a big honking deal. And the fact that we can come to Him and place our trust in Him and have hope secure for us is absolutely astounding. It should stir us and change us and transform us into those that are just stupefied and befuddled by His greatness. That He would allow us to even utter His name is a huge thing. So today, we're going to talk about what it means to have that hope secured, that confidence. I know we talked about confidence last week that is found in the Lord and, and our trust that is found in Him and, and what that trust looks like. But confidence is not just uh, our confidence and, and trust that this exists, that this is real, and that this is good. But confidence in the Scripture is, it is pictured in this way of trust, but it's also pictured in this way of delight. That we see how good He is that our heart has joy, has comfort, has hope, and desire and devotion to this one that we trust in. Not just because He says, well, I have paid this price, I'm basically your insurance plan, but because He is the one that says, I love you like no other. I am a father to the fatherless. I am that one that cares more deeply for you than anyone possibly could and more than you will absolutely ever know. And yet I am loving enough to give you a glimpse of it that will leave you, even that glimpse, just breathtakingly humble. And Paul, one of the apostles in the New Testament days, in the first century, he is a man that is captivated and just absolutely life-altered because of this guy. Because of the grace found in him. And it's demonstrated through the love found in Jesus. A resurrected Messiah. The one that was promised in the Old Testament, provided in the New Testament, and bringing new purpose to our life. And his life is forever changed. In fact, 13 letters of the 27 that you have in the New Testament were penned at the hand of the Apostle Paul as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, thus making it not Paul's words, it is God's words through Paul. Today we get to have our eyes open, we get to wake up, and to see how this brings new alertness, new awareness to our life. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word. We are in 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, that is page 1023 in the Pew Bible. If you have one in front of you and you need a copy of God's Word, please feel free to use that. If you don't have a copy that you personally can read or understand, uh, we've got these for your 
a gift to you as a way to have it in your hands and hopefully in your heart. Take that as a gift from us, not only to be used here, or but every day. But as we read this, it'll be on the screen. I want you to just hear the Holy Spirit speaking through this, this man. And he says in these three verses, 12 through 14, Indeed, this is our boast. This is our confidence. The testimony of our conscience is that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you with godly sincerity and purity, not by human wisdom, but by God's grace. For we are writing nothing to you other than what you can read and also understand. I hope you will understand completely, just as you have partially understood us, that we are your reason for pride, just as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Lord God, this was something that your Holy Spirit, you, God Almighty, inspired through this man named Paul's writing. And you are the one who have kept it and preserved it. You are the one that gave it significance and breathed it out to the church at Corinth. And you are the one who has kept it for us even here today in the year 2018. It is not a surprise that we are here speaking of your word. You are the one that grants divine appointments. So God, I pray that you would move as only you can in spite of me. Speak. Teach us. Help us to know You. Help us to respond to You. And God, help us just to be enthralled by Your incredible love and Your awesome holiness. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. So our hope, every time we come together, every time we plan out what these gatherings are going to look like, is that when we spend time in the Word, that we would take them for the gift of grace that they are. That we would not just come in and say, alright, I'm going to check off my religious duty for the week. That's not the reason we are here. That's not the reason we hope that you are here. But we do know sometimes that's the way it happens. you got to be in church on Sunday. That's the way mom and daddy raised you. That's the way it sometimes happens. But that's not the full point. While that is good social etiquette, it has a cultural benefit, that is not the central point of Scripture. We, we, we want people to understand that while it is comforting and encouraging, that is not the central point of Scripture either. That is a benefit of it, but not the central point. While it is enlightening and it makes us smarter, that is not the central point to feel like we have achieved some kind of knowledge and know-how and self-improvement. That is a benefit, but not the central point. The central point is not entertainment so that we can feel like that, wow, that was clever, that was neat, that was cool. Um, I mean, I know I, I just exude all of that. It just happens in all my full nerdly self and goodness. But that is not the point. That might be a benefit. I would not bank on it today. But that might be a benefit. But it's so that we would actually experience the life change and, and understand the grace, gospel, and glory of God. That we get a better glimpse and understanding of who He is and what He has said and what He has done. And, and that in itself is what changes us, that He is the one that brings about an awakening. And here, if we're going to understand 
what it says and what it means and how it applies and what we're going to do about it. We've got to look at how this came about to us. This is, like I said, written by the Apostle Paul around the year A.D. 56, a year where Paul is on his third missionary journey in a city called Ephesus, about a thousand miles away from the city of Corinth. But the city of Corinth has a church that Paul helped to found in his second missionary journey. And he loves this church, but he's, his heart's been broken by some of the things he's heard coming out of this church. These difficulties, this apathy and carelessness with, with doctrine and teaching, this, this uh, just wishy-washy attitude about sin and letting it go, and, and this arrogancy. And so Paul has been corresponding back and forth, answering some of their questions. Not because Paul has this holier than thou, I'm better than you attitude. It's because he loves this church enough to help them in their time of need, but also to be there and not just act like he doesn't have a role to play in bringing about the correction and the steering of this ship. That God had significantly, providentially placed him in the place where he was at so that he could have a role to play, a purpose in this land, in this city, in this church. Well, this is the fourth letter that we have. Two of them we do not have. Uh, this is the fourth letter that Paul wrote according to his writings, not, not anything that we see any anywhere else, but according to his writings. And uh, we call it 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul is responding to some of the things that have happened as a result of 1 Corinthians, this second letter. <laughs> I know it's confusing when you have the one and two and all that kind of thing. But there had been a somewhat of a stirring that good things were happening, but not everything was perfect, not everything was good. There were some people that were kind of disgruntled. Some people kind of upset. And some people that saw what Paul was saying, that's just too hard. You really expect that of us? This church thing, this Christ thing is meant to be easy, right? It's not meant to change or make our life difficult or, or cause any disruption into our normal circumstances. Paul shows them four echoing truths over and over again that they need to be aware of if they're going to live and follow after the Lord in a way that is pleasing to God, in a way that is affected by His grace. He writes to remind them that it was God who is in Christ, that, that Jesus wasn't just some nobody, that Jesus wasn't just some mythical person, that Jesus wasn't just some historical figure, but it was God Himself in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, that it wasn't just for a small group of people, it was that the world would be changed. Now, we know not everybody in the world will respond, but it was available. And that He has entrusted us, the church, that when He departed and He ascended into heaven, He trusted us with this ministry. That's our job now, to carry on His message. And that if we're going to have this ministry, it's going to involve both times of suffering and victory. It's not going to be all roses. Sometimes it's going to be dandelions. And they're going to get all over the place. I saw someone say this this week I thought was very funny. Um, if we really want to know if life is capable of existing on Mars, we should just send dandelion seeds up there. Because if they can survive anywhere. But that's beside the point. That it's going to involve this time of suffering and victory. And that serving Christ... It means ministering His name in a way that is going to affect different people at different times that we've got to be able to meet them in their place of need. And not always just expect the if we build it, they will come. 
In fact, I don't remember any place in Jesus' words that said that, but I do remember a lot of places in Jesus' words that says, Go, I am sending you. And it's also written to show us that God has entrusted certain leaders that are meant to play a role by His Spirit working in them. And this should give us hope. This should give us confidence. This should give us something to boast about when we look to Jesus. So what is the Scripture? Let's think about our central question today when we're looking at this text of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12-14. and 14. I think a central question that we're going to find is, what does the Scripture teach the church about our confidence in Christ? What does it teach us about such a hope? Well, it's going to teach us that such a confidence is going to have an effect. Not just a heart internal effect, but a total life effect. It's going to declare something that becomes witness worthy. People are going to be able to see it. It's tangible. It's visible. It's not something that's just deep down in the mix of consciousness, but it's displayed in the daily life. You can tell what people take pride in. You can tell what people boast about. You can tell what people feel honored to be with. This time of year, uh, the summer, between Memorial Day and Labor Day, um, we could say extended out to November to, to Veterans Day, is probably the most patriotic of our seasons. It's the time where we get out the red, white, and blue and we sing songs of patriotism or we see fireworks we put up all different colors. People wear little buttons. Facebook comes alive with patriotic posts. Um, it's, it's, it's that time of year. The only time it gets even greater is if you add the Olympics in there and it's like, yes, USA! You know, we're, we're excited. Because we have pride that, that God would, in His providence, Place us in a land such as this for such a time as this with the freedoms that we have. And some part of us knows that there are places that do not experience that privilege. Now, this is not a worship gathering where we're going to just be like, yes, yes, USA, USA, USA. Um, I love the country that God has placed us in and I'm thankful for it, but I am a citizen of heaven. We are citizens of a greater country, a greater kingdom with a greater authority. And while we have hope and thankfulness for living in such a place in such a time as this, we are thankful even more for what God has done to purchase true freedom and show us true love. But when does that pride show? When does that trust, that confidence, that that hope that we have, that God, I have a greater kingdom with you, I have an eternal home with you, when does that show? Because we're very big about things that are in our immediate life or in our immediate surroundings, but what God has done that that transforms all of life, all of eternity, sometimes that's less visible. Sometimes that's less communicated. That's less talked about. Which should never be so. Our trust in Christ is revealed through the testimony, through that which is witnessed in the Christian, in the church. And a great testimony is found in the place where the heart it delights in and is devoted to making much of Jesus who considered us worth anything. 
Psalm 8 says, God, or God, how great and majesty are you. Uh, when I think of all that you are, what is man that you are mindful of him? It should be just astounding that God is even mindful of us, much less he would die for us. He would purchase us. He would provide an eternal home for us. That should wreck us and renovate us to doing something for His namesake. Not just internally and saying, oh, this is good for my soul on Sunday, but every aspect of our life should be transformed by it. And Paul is here in 1 Corinthians and there's something troubling going on that we'll see as we... Excuse me, 2 Corinthians... When we keep reading this letter, we'll see these thoughts that seem to be in, have been communicated to Paul as he's going back and forth about correspondence. That you know, Paul, people are saying this about you. You know, Paul, people don't really like you. You know, Paul, you're kind of causing a disruption here. You know, Paul, I'm not really sure you're as good as you think you are. There are all kinds of things being sl- slung towards Paul. This man who was seeking to follow the Lord. And he wasn't perfect. There's only one perfect one. There's only one name under heaven which man may be saved. It's not in the name of the Apostle Paul. It is only in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul was seeking to live this out and demonstrate this. Even though it was imperfect times. Paul is saying, what I'm doing here, what I'm being led to do here, does not have any hidden measures in it. It is not motivated by any hidden actions. I mean, Paul knew what it was like to experience besmirching in his name even after he came to Christ. The, the closest apostles to Jesus were like, uh, I don't know if we want to talk to that dude. I mean, think about it. The ones who had seen Jesus do miraculous deeds, the ones who had seen Jesus hang out with the most deplorable and despised people in those days, the prostitutes and the test collectors, those diseased, those that were dead, those that were poor, and Jesus would hang out with them. But when Paul, I mean, granted, he was an enemy of the church at times, but whenever he experiences this moment of grace where God gives him a new life trajectory, the apostles are like, eh, I don't know if I want to deal with him. But thanks, there was a man named Barnabas who had come to Christ and he brought him alongside. He brought him to the disciples and he helped train him up and eventually brought him into a place where he could serve to where the name of Paul is elevated and remembered much more than the name of Barnabas. But apparently his conduct and his actions in this moment in the church at Corinth, they're being questioned They're being questioned. You ever had your conduct and your actions questioned? Like, why are you doing this? Why why are you saying these things? Why do you act this way? And maybe it's not in a negative tone. Maybe it's in a good thing. Maybe someone is so perplexed because they see your life and they see the circumstance, and they see what they've been going through, or what they've done, and, and, and now you come along, and people are questioning, no one else acts like this, why are you doing it? What do you want out of this? I remember being asked that question by some folks whenever Hurricane Katrina happened in, in Mississippi. Uh, Melinda and I, when we got back to the coast, uh, 
we, we finally got the ability to get down to the network of Baptist churches and we began helping disaster relief and local churches to help clean up not only their facilities, but their members, but not only those that were in the church, but anybody. Anybody that called. So you didn't have to just be a Baptist. You didn't have to be a Christian. You could be anybody that called. And sometimes we would just go through the neighborhoods and we would knock on doors and just say, can our team help? And people would just be bewildered and they'd be like, well, I don't got any money. I don't care. So you're going to like try to make me come to church, right? No. We just want to do it because we feel that Christ has gifted us and placed us here for such a time as this in your time of need. And here we are. And people still sometimes were just looking at this and thinking, I don't understand that. They would question the actions that were being taken place. And yet they were just perplexed at what was going around them. At the same time, we know what it's like to question someone's actions and motives, right? Especially whenever we know their behavior, their common actions to be not so um, above reproach. We don't like to trust people like that, do we? We don't like to follow along after people like that. That's why it's thanks be to God that when it comes to Him, we can't say anything about His behavior and say, well, I can't question that or use that as an excuse for not following. Because He is perfect in all that He is. And as such, that should be the aim of His disciples. Not perfection for the sake of boasting in our own skill or our own uh, temperament or our own virtues, but Perfection, it says, what God has done inside of me is He's given me His perfect righteousness, not my own. And I will boast in that. I will live for that. I will delight in that. I have confidence in that. And it shapes what I do. The measures of my life. The actions and movements. Because we don't trust and follow the advice of someone when we question their behavior. And Paul stated that he had sought to live a life that exemplified the grace, gospel, and glory of God. And he makes it clear, though, this was not by his own means, by his own power. It was something that God had done in him. When you think about it, what are the measures of a life that are exemplified, that exemplify grace, gospel, and glory? What are those actions? Those actions that say of grace, it is God's unmerited favor towards the undeserving. And yet it's His mercy multiplied that rescues the perishing. What are those measures and actions that, that testify that it's a work of His love? That point to the good news of the gospel that says my whole faith, my whole religion is not about what I can achieve, what I can do, what I can will myself to do, but what Christ was only sufficient to do for me. What do my actions communicate about the gospel? What do my actions communicate about God's glory? These are the measures of a life that are meant to be in the person, that are meant to be the testimony of a person that delights and boasts in the Lord. Here we might add, as one pastor said, we might want to add at least an optional, not biblical, but optional uh, beatitude. Blessed is the man, person, who has nothing to hide. 
because their actions demonstrate that they are seeking to live for God's grace and glory. Another pastor told a story about why this is such a difficult area and it seems like self-help when someone's talking about it that pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, work up good deeds, do this for yourself, do, 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 and all that stuff. He says that's because we're so skeptical not only of others but of our own self. We're skeptical of what God could do. And many of us, we don't feel like we could ever do it because we feel like we'll be found out for who we might have been or who we might be right now. Instead of approaching Christ and having that which is sinful forgiven, that which is unclean cleansed, knowing that if we confess our sins to Him, as First John tells us, He is faithful and just to cleanse us. And not just like, oh, let me put a little soap here, where, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One pastor told the story that we live in a world that's like the person that lived in these old cities and they went knocking on the door and their only words to the person that would open is flee for all has been discovered. And he did it as a test and was amazed at even the most unlikely of people running away for fear that they are what they had to hide had been found out. Let that not be said of the church. It was not what Paul was seeking to communicate. He was saying, I do not hide any of my actions to you. I'm seeking to live it out. He says, not only do I have a life that boasts in Christ because I have no hidden actions, my full agenda is that His grace, gospel, and glory might be on display. And that's my confidence, that's my boast. But also I have no hidden motives. I don't have any hidden measures or actions. I don't have any hidden motives. He says that our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience. When I think about what's in my brain, when I think it's about what's in my soul, is that we have conducted ourselves in the world, especially towards you, with godly sincerity and purity. Not by human wisdom, but by God's grace. So apparently there's some that are accusing him of hidden measures, hidden actions, and there's some that are accusing him of having hidden motives. They made uh, uh, accusations about his intentions. But Paul uses these words about his conscience and about his hope and confidence in Christ that says that even it is clear that what I have done and sought to live out was done with sincerity and purity. What does these words mean that are translated for sincerity and purity? It's meant to describe something that could be held up to the light of the sun and tested to see if there were any cracks or imperfections. It's something that could be held into the heat and see if it would be lasting. One tradition goes that the words sincero and insincero describe something that you would use in a marketplace. Meaning sincero without wax. Insincero. With wax. What does that mean? Well, and they would make pottery and they would craft it together. Sometimes there would be imperfections whenever they were heating it in the kiln and it would reveal little cracks. And so to sell in the marketplace, they would, they would douse it and glaze it with a wax that would hold whatever liquid was needing to be done. But once it was brought onto the heat, guess what happens to wax? It melts. And all of a sudden what was once of some worth is not worth much at all. And so if something was sincero, it was clean, it was whole, it didn't have any wax to hide anything. It could be helped with light, it could survive the heat, it was good. But if it was insincero, it was basically a discount product. 
and looking at that testimony of our life, when it comes to not only our actions and the measures of our life, what about our motives? Whenever they're held up to the light, when they're stuck in the heat, how do they hold up? Are those motives sincere and pure? Do they reveal delight in the Lord and confidence in His grace and gospel? They yield a life that says, my only hope is to make much of Jesus. That's a hard question to ask, isn't it? That sounds a little bit like toe stomping and guilt tripping. Because I believe if we're quite honest, we have to admit we seldom do anything. I, I find this in my own self. This is not me casting stones or throwing something out there and hoping it sticks. We seldom do anything with absolutely unmixed motives. We just don't. We're not wired that way. Even when we do something noteworthy, something good, something excellent, something worthy of, of admiring, those motives, they can be entangled with motives of prudence. Well, it just needed to be done. I didn't do it because I wanted to, but I did it because no one else was. And I just stuck it out there. That's my motive. I've done that. I'm thankful God can use that moment. I'm sad that it wasn't sincere. I've done things with motives of prestige. That, well, you know, you get that title, that position, it's going to look really good. People are going to think very highly of you. It's going to be very admirable. People will take note. They'll applaud who you are. On the other hand, uh, I've done things not only looking for prestige or position, but uh, or out of prudence, And I'm thankful God has used some of those even though in spite of me, sometimes I've done them out of paranoia. What will people think if I don't say say yes? What will people think if I don't step up? What will people think about me if I don't do these things? Do it out of fear of a person, not not out of Christ's love. Or I do it out of a prize. Later on there will be some kind of reward for this. I'm going to get an extra dose of crowns in heaven or something. I don't know. That's why. See, it's easy for us to look, but here's the thing. As guilty as we may be of having uh, mixed motives, God can transform us and bring us to a bit of humility to think about these things, even if we're in the middle of them right now and saying, who and why are you really doing this? Because I may have placed you there strategically for my grace, gospel, and glory to be demonstrated. But you need to understand that your heart needs to be aligned towards that because you're going to be able to do things much more effectively when you're doing them not out of the preservation of self, but out of the proclamation of the Savior. You're going to be able to accomplish much more when that is your motive in your heart. And I, in my grace, am able to bring that about. We need to live with the faith in the One who did this for us. Once again, Paul makes no mistake here when he says, this was not out of my ability. It was the grace of God at work in me. He does not allow himself to forget that. He does not allow the church in Corinth to forget that. And we as a church today cannot forget that the grace of God does wonders. That sincerity and purity are not found in us. They are only possible by grace. 
And grace is only possible through Christ. But thankfully, not only is it possible, it's available. It's available. Abundantly available. So Paul says, I had, he demonstrates in here, when his confidence Lord says, I'm not presenting anything of hidden measures or actions of my own self. I'm not presenting anything of hidden motives. I'm not presenting anything of hidden meanings. There are apparently some that looked at Paul's letters and said, well, Paul said that, but he didn't mean that. This is what he really meant. This is what it really looks like. And Paul makes it clear that when he's writing, there were no hidden meanings in his words that he had written. They weren't a way of covering his own tracks. They weren't a way of covering his own tail. They weren't a way of covering up from anything that he had done. They weren't anything for his own security and benefit. In fact, when you read some of these things, you'd be like, oh, snap. Paul said that? Man, he's a lot more brutal and less diplomatic than I would have been. But I'm also... Amazed that he had the gumption to say it. When we read these letters, we're like, well, Paul wasn't worried about the fact that if he made friends or not, but at the same time, he wasn't a jerk. He was just carefully and clearly articulating that which God was leading him to say so that people could understand and understand and look back to him, to look back to Christ. It wasn't a way for him to chastise others so that he could exalt himself for his own benefit. It wasn't a way for him to cover himself up. You see, words have a funny have a funny place in our world, don't they? Words are odd. We like them. I say some weird words. I'm from Mississippi. Sometimes we don't even pronounce words the right way. But they have a funny use in our life. You see, words can be used to carefully and clearly say what we need to say and to reveal what we need to reveal. But at the same time, people can use words to try to conceal that which they won't conceal and to cover tracks. The tongue can be used for a wide variety of instances. And that's why the Apostle James, when he's writing, says the unbridled tongue is like a fire. It can cause damage. And it needs to be carefully used. We may say a thing with our words. One, because, well, we feel like it needs to be said in the moment. Or maybe it is the right thing to say in the moment. Maybe someone needs to speak up and we feel that we're the person to do it. We sometimes say things for the sake of being or seeming agreeable. We just kind of nod our heads. Yes, yes. I don't really believe that, but okay. Um, we may say it for the sake of avoiding perceived danger or trouble. Sometimes we say the weirdest things just to get ourselves out of a predicament. Um, sometimes we do these things and our words can be used in ways that are detrimental to our witness, that are detrimental to our testimony. Either for good or for bad. And that's why when it comes to our words, we need to clearly use them to communicate grace, gospel, glory. And the only way that we can clearly communicate those words is when we know His words. When we spend time in this Spirit-inspired, God-breathed, inerrant, infallible Scripture, holy writ that is given to us even so that average people not people that are highly intellectual not the people that are needing and have to have a master's degree or doctor degree to decipher it 
But we want it translated and given to us. And it's been made available. We live in such a time where we can just open it up. Where we can just click it. And there it is. And yet so many times it's taken for granted. And then we wonder why people misconstrue our words and our meanings. Because we're not communicating what he means. Paul wanted the average person to be able to understand. He's saying, for we are writing nothing to you other than what you can read. What you've read is what I mean. And also understand, I hope you understand completely, just as you have partially understood us when you met us, that you are, that we are your reason for pride, that because God sent someone to you, that should give you a sense of boasting in Him. Thank you, God, that you placed someone in my life to communicate these words. That's a treasure that sometimes we take for granted. I am thankful for little Sunday school ladies that sat down with me and shared with me these stories of the Bible. Thank you that they were there. I'm thankful for a pastor named Dr. Carl Whedon that whenever I was having questions when I was 11 years old, he sat down with me in the office and let me ask questions and share with me what it meant to trust in the Lord. As my Savior. Now, I didn't get it fully. I was looking for fire insurance. I didn't want to go to hell. But I'm thankful for all the people that God placed in my life to share with me the Word. I can boast in Him because He did that. He provided the people in those divine appointments that I needed. And I am not going to shirk my responsibility because that's what God has entrusted into me. That as He provided reconciliation, He also provided people that communicated that to me. And Paul says that's why... We are your sense of pride. Not that your pride's in us, but you're thankful that God provided us so that you could know Him. And we, you are our sense of pride to us. Paul's writing that I have pride because God did something there that was beyond my strength. It was beyond my sincerity. It was beyond my purity. It was beyond my means, my measure, my motives that God would use me in this time and place. And that is why we Boast in the Lord for what He does to transform us. A work that is only by His grace, undeserved, His gospel, only way, and His glory for the only name. May we have such confidence. May that be our boast. And may it be our testimony. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You that we can boast in Your name. I thank You that You're worthy of praise and that these are not just churchy words that are placed in the right place in front of the right people. It is true of You. Not based on anything we've done, we've achieved, but actually in spite of us that You would make Yourself known. And I thank You for not only being the one we can praise and declare worthiness too but the one we can know the one that we can have a relationship with the one that we can have our life transformed by the one who never leaves us or forsakes us the one who says he you are with us until the end of the age but you're calling us to go and live that boast and that confidence in you So may we do it in a way that affects our measures and actions. May we do it in a way that affects our motives and our train of thought. May we do it in a way that transforms the meaning of our words that point to you. 
And may it be all done for your glory alone. Thank you for your work of grace. Thank you for the gift of the gospel. And it's in your name we pray. Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. At this time, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. As we have this time of response. The music is going to play and, and we provide this time every time every week with our worship gathering to, to have a moment where you can respond. And, and that response can be a variety of ways. You certainly can respond to the Lord right where you are. It doesn't require that you go through a priest. It doesn't require that you go through anyone else. But it does require that you come to Jesus. And you can do that right there where you're sitting in your prayer, communicating to God through a heart of faith,